Welcome back to Clinical Pearls for Graduate Physios, the podcast that collaborates with experts in the world of physiotherapy to give new grads and students key tips and tricks. I'm your host, Dion Kapnius, and today I'm joined by Todd Grabak to talk all about adductor muscle injuries. Todd is a fellow first-year physio who is a couple of months into his physio career. He completed his fourth-year uni project on adductor muscle injuries, and for someone who is so early in his career, his insight into this topic is incredible. My top three clinical pearls for listeners are, firstly, it's important to ascertain early if there is proximal tendon involvement in the adductor injury. Secondly, early loading of the adductors is crucial to facilitate faster recovery and return to sport. And lastly, completing the Copenhagen adductor exercise regularly is a nice, easy way to help prevent adductor injuries. I loved our chat, so I hope you enjoy. Todd, thanks so much for joining me and welcome as the first, well, as the inaugural um, a guest I've got for a little new, uh, new sub-series, The Next Gen. So, uh, yeah, thanks for being here. No, the Next Gen, no, absolute pleasure to be here, mate. I was honoured to be asked. Yeah. Happy <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I, I actually didn't tell you that's the, well, I'm thinking that's going to be the title of this little sub-series, but I think now I've said it on record i sort of have to stick with it now so yeah <laughs> well, being you know. the first guest that's what big shoes to fill i'll have to make sure i'm ready to go <laughs> yeah i hope you are so <laughs> now for a bit of context uh you've done all your projects um through uni was around adductor injuries or uh, specifically adductor related injuries and um yeah. from all the way from diagnosis to return to play or sport or whatever right. it looked yeah. like so really interesting to see someone who you know i think a few, a few people have asked in the past have more so had you know more, more experience based uh knowledge mm. on this it's gonna be interesting to see you know obviously yourself you're in the same position as me where it's going to be more so around you know what you've learned what you've picked up um, through the literature and really diving into that so yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited to have a look into this easy mate yeah uh, so I covered the classification of different types of hip and groin pain with Joe Kemp in an early episode yeah. through use of the Doha agreement. Uh, so if you know if listeners want a bit more info on that, perhaps that um, episode is a good reference point. So within that, you know, if we zoom in on adductor-related groin pain, which is you know what we discussed and what your project focused on mainly, can you firstly give us a bit of a brief definition of what constitutes an adductor-related injury and maybe some insight into the time frames for recovery. Yeah, perfect. Um, couldn't recommend the Joe Camp episode. It was a belter, so um, certainly worth a listen. Um, so from, <laughs> from uh, the groin pain perspective, the first thing we know is that we firstly need to split it up into whether we've got an ongoing or long-standing issue or whether it's an acute issue. Um, and we also know that overall adductor-related pain is probably the most common entity out of the, the six. Um, and basically, if we look at long, long-standing groin pain, uh, Doha agreement sort of defines it as you need to have adductor tenderness on palpation. So that includes not only the muscle belly, but also the proximal tendon and the insertion onto the pubic tubercle and pubic symphysis. Um, and then you need to have pain on resisted testing as well. So um, adductor squeeze tests where you're in supine hip flex to 45 degrees and just getting that fist or um, a dyno in between, in between the knees, and then you can do that um, 
with hip at zero, zero degrees flexion, you can do sort of more of a long lever uh, Copenhagen adductor squeeze. And then I think one that's really important that can be missed is having a look at how sort of firstly pain provocation when we get the adductors in a lengthened position, so in that outer range abduction, looking at resisted adduction. Um, and that's something that is really, really important to assess basically. Firstly, is it more painful when we're in a lengthened adductor position? But also if you're using your objective measures, your dynos, that sort of thing, getting a, um, yeah, an actual measure of strength in that lengthened position versus in that shortened or more optimal position. Um, and that's essentially all you need from a long-standing groin pain uh, perspective to sort of diagnose someone's adductor-related groin pain. Um, in terms of acute presentation, it's fairly similar. Um, so you're going to do your resisted adduction testing and uh, your palpation. Um, as well as that, you've got to add in some a length measure as well. So a bent knee fallout, a passive hip abduction, that sort of thing, because it just goes on that, that classic adage of um, for muscle injuries, uh, palpate, activate, and elongate. So it's the same sort of deal. Um, in terms of timeframes, so I didn't do too much in terms of the treatment of the long-standing stuff. I looked more at acute, um, so I can speak to that a lot more. The first thing you need to try and figure out is whether we've got purely a muscle belly injury, which is going to be way more common, um, or whether there's a proximal tendon involvement, so whether we've got an avulsion injury in proximal tendon. So you need to be really, really careful with your palpation, really thorough with your palpation skills. Um, and basically, if we've got muscle belly involvement only, um, you're looking at average return to play in about two to four weeks. Um, which is, yeah, pretty standard across the board. Um, and then if we do have proximal tendon involvement and palpation, I cannot stress how important it is because if we do have proximal tendon pain on palpation, that initial assessment, that's the biggest indicator that this is going to have a much worse prognosis. Um, if we do have proximal tendon involvement, you're looking at closer to 12 months. So really, really important um, to sort of firstly communicate that and be firstly really thorough with that assessment, but also communicating that with your patient and saying, okay, this is probably a little bit more than standard muscle injury um, and this is going to take a lot longer than what we normally expect. Um, just to try and set those expectations up pretty quickly, set yourself up for a better rehab program. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, that's that's great insight and, I'm really impressed that, you know, even after a couple of months after doing your presentation or your research, it's still stuck like glue. So that's great. Yeah, I just did a uh, little 20-minute cram session prior to this. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that bit. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's so interesting that, you know, you can have what may seem as quite similar tenderness or maybe injuries when on purely palpation, but unless, like, you actually really dive deep into, okay, is this more belly related or is this more the proximal tendon? I mean, that, like you said, timeframes, that's a huge difference. Yeah. So that's yeah. a, that's a really important pickup. No, I mean, that it is, um, it is important. So it's not that surprising. We know like um, tendons have relatively poor blood supply compared to, um, compared to muscle bellies and that sort of thing. So it's about healing timeframe is going to be a lot longer, but 
but yeah, it is really, really important to be able to differentiate that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I, I know you mentioned briefly about the Copenhagen, more so from a um, assessment point of view, but yeah. it's often you know commonly heard of in the rehab space. So, can you give us any other uh, or insight into any other key exercises or rehab ideas that are highly valuable for adductor strains or improving adductor strength? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think it's yeah, it's a bit of a Classic, classic physio response here is it depends. And it's always the Copenhagen is, a, is an absolute belter of an exercise for the groin, um, but it's not the be all and end all. So it all depends for me based on firstly the, what your patient wants to return to and the activities that they need to be good at. And as well as that, sort of what sort of time frame are we right now? So are we three days post-injury? Are we one day, are we two weeks post-injury? And you need to sort of tailor it to your assessment as well. So what impairments they've got at the moment. And obviously we know that within that first sort of two, three days, we're going to be quite an inflammatory dominant pain mechanism. So we're likely to be a bit more irritable and that sort of thing. And so doing exercises that require a lot of work with the adductors is going to be relatively inefficient uh, because firstly we're going to drive out a lot of pain but we're also going to get a lot of pain in addition so i would say it really depends on where we are in the rehab process and then where we need to get to but um some good ideas i like to include in early stages uh some ball squeezes so basically it just doesn't need, doesn't even need to be a ball you need a pillow or a towel um sort of and you, i think about it in a similar way to how we do quad sets after surgery um, you're just trying to basically keep the muscle going to its best ability whilst the inflammatory process is happening and whilst that's dominating. So it's almost trying to maintain as much strength as we can in activation um, whilst we're in that, yeah, really painful period. And then as you progress through that, you're basically just, yeah, trying to pick um, exercises that are going to start to load the adductors and just load the body in the way that it needs to be when going back to their chosen sport or whatever it may be. Um, some, good, some good ones are uh, sort of uh, lateral lunges with slides. So you can basically have like a towel or a sliding foam mat um, under one leg and just do like a single leg lunge and then the, the other leg, the opposite leg, goes out um, to the side and to that hip abduction. Um, there are, there are stacks, and there's a really good paper by Andreas Cerner, I think from 2014, that looks at BMG studies of different uh, groin exercises. Um, and you can basically use that as a sort of like a, a template for your um, rehab sort of progression, uh, going from smallest EMG all the way up to the highest EMG. And then as, as good as sort of your, your gradual and your standard strengthening exercises are nothing actually beats the real thing so um, we know that kicking and change of direction and sprinting they're the they're the exercises the activities that elicit the highest loads um, on the on the adductors and so they're the ones that you sort of want to return to as quickly as possible but also as safely as possible because they're going to elicit the most um, benefit as well yeah, that's really nice. And I think, I guess there's two points I want to touch on. Firstly, I think with the paper, I'll, I'll grab that off you um, and we'll yeah. put that in the, the show notes because that'd, that'd be a really good one to 
to show everyone. Um, and, and I guess in regards to your second point about uh, return to those more, you know, higher load activities, like if they are returned to kicking um, yeah. or if they are returned to sprinting, I think it's really important uh, point that you made that, yes, we want to return to them, but we have to be conscious and, and clever about how we do it. We can't just return to it just because it's going to elicit a, 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 you know, a high amount of load. That in itself is probably going to be aggravating if they're not quite ready for it. So I think taking a time and waiting for the right moment to reintroduce those gradually um, is a really good key, but I think that's and, really good advice. Yeah, and the, the thing about that is always sort of reassessing. So reassessing how painful they are on a um, adductor squeeze or how, how much muscle length they've got and they need to that and letting that determine, okay, we've improved quite a bit on the squeeze, we're still a little bit painful, we may be ready to jump up from there. So take away as much of the guessing as you can and don't rely strictly on timeframes. Um, always reassess as you go and let that sort of follow um, your decision-making. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really good. Um, if we change sort of speed a little bit, and um, I think this is a really fascinating area. So can you give listeners a basic overview of the central tendon? and the clinical implications of it in rehab. Yeah, so I only found out about this probably towards the end of the third year. I, um, I heard about some, a few AFL players recently had a hamstring injury and then I found out that they were needing surgery. And I remember, I remember watching the mechanism thinking, oh, yeah, he's grabbed, he's grabbed mid-muscle valley and just thinking, oh, yeah, he'll be back in like four weeks or so, three or four weeks. And then I found out that that same player needed surgery. I was like, hmm, what? And so I did a, bit of, um, did a bit of research and found out about this thing called the central tendon. And I'd never heard of this before ever. And it's not really something that we get taught in anatomy. So we're obviously taught that um, the muscle belly and the tendon is really clearly delineated. So the proximal, proximal tendon, the proximal tendon, the distal tendon, and then our muscle belly. In some uh, muscles, not all of them, we have from the proximal to the distal, oh, it's, the tendon basically comes into the muscle belly and extends further into the muscle belly than we think. And it's more, it's more relevant, particularly in the lower limb in the hamstring. Um, it's not necessarily there in uh, adductor strains or groin strains. There's no central tendons there. Um, but the, yeah, the biggest one is in, in the hamstring muscles. Um, and basically, it can be... It's, because a lot of the time, if you're an elite in an elite setting, say an AFL um, environment, just for example, um, they're going to image people when they sneeze. And so um, if we do just have like a standard, um, what we think is a standard hamstring strain, they're going to send them for an MRI to basically rule out a central tendon involvement. And it's because it's really hard to clinically pick up on a central tendon versus just muscle valley. Um, and so... The, the implications is that obviously being tendon, it's going to take a lot longer to heal again. So um, I think it's still a bit up in the air as to the best management course, whether we go surgical versus non-surgical, because it is a fairly new concept that we're sort of getting our heads around. Um, but, yeah, again, it comes down to those sort of healing principles that tendon is way less vascular and it's going to take a lot longer to heal. Um, I haven't done an incredible amount of research into it, but I know that there's a paper um, where they looked at the return to play and 
related that to the state of the MRI, the state of the central tendon. And we know that towards the end end stage of rehab, the tendon doesn't actually need to be fully resolved and fully healed before someone can return to play. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting sort of area of ongoing research. But um, I think the best thing I'd say is if a standard hamstring strain isn't improving the way you'd expect in certain amount of time you'd expect, you might start to think that, okay, there might be some central tendon involvement and it actually might be a good idea to, to image in that um, that scenario because, again, you can sort of clear up some expectations say, okay, this isn't what exactly what we thought. This is going to take a lot longer um, and so on and so on. I think that's really good that you sort of brought it back to the, the one key message that people can go away with. I think we could probably spend another, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking about, you know, what's, actually going on and maybe what the research currently suggests about the central tendon involvement but ultimately if the key message is you know if it's not behaving as well as you would expect it would with a normal hamstring strain reconsider this or at least have this in the back of your mind to image or look into further but that's really good um if we sort of we spoke a little bit about um loading a bit before and sort of our, our gradual approach to loading but, um, particularly in the setting of an acute adductor injury, how crucial is early loading in fast tracking an adductor injury or any muscular injury for that matter? Absolutely massive um, is the answer. And so um, I think to get a full a full understanding of this, and I can send this in the show notes, but this is probably a paper that most people, most videos have been um, pretty familiar with. It's by Kareem Khan and... I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Scott from 2009, um, uh, mechanotherapy. Um, and basically that looks at and is the first paper that gives actual evidence as to the mechanisms behind how exercise and, and loading a tissue actually stimulates healing if it's injured. And so um, we essentially know that exercise and loading will, will start to start the healing process of injured muscle tissue, and muscle tissue has an incredible um, potential for healing. healing. Um, and so basically there's been not – there hasn't been a lot of studies in groin pain and adductor strains specifically, um, but from a uh, just a general muscle perspective, the earlier loading, um, the earlier that you'll get pain-free um, activation first of that selected muscle, but the earlier you'll get that baseline strength back as well. So there was a study, and again, I'm really bad at remembering the names of the authors, but um, they basically compared um, two groups, early loading versus sort of delayed loading, and the earlier loading groups got their baseline strength back, I think it was within three weeks, um, and the... the uh, the other group that sort of waited and rested a bit, it took them over six weeks just to get that baseline strength back. So not only is it going to be good from a physiological healing standpoint to load someone and load someone early within certain parameters um, and being smart about it, but from a clinical setting, getting those measures back, the strength, which is really, really important um, for reducing further injury and that sort of thing, um, it's going to be paramount. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting. And I think for maybe your, you know, average patient who comes through who, you know, doesn't 
uh, know that all this information or this, or this research and they're thinking, well, I'm sore, I don't want to do anything to it, I'm going to protect it. And then eventually they might get around to seeing a physio and then maybe, you know, eventually strengthening, et cetera. I mean, that has clinical implications, obviously, because yeah. if they're delaying that time period. So, yeah, this is really crucial information. And I think it's good that we can apply it um, yeah. not only to, to adductor injuries, but really, you know, any muscle injury like you were speaking about. That's probably like that um, short-term pain, long-term gain is sort of how I like to, to script it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And uh, last question, Todd. If I think this is uh, this can be an area that is often overlooked, but I know part of your project looked into the importance of ongoing rehab even after an individual has returned to play. Yep. How how paramount do you think it is for our patients to continue to rehab after their injury? And is there any other key information that you found out in regards to preventing future adductor injuries? Yeah, so I think I, I want to sort of. So that firstly, the biggest risk factor for the onset of groin pain or a groin injury is the previous injury to the groin. And that's, that's the same in a lot of muscle injuries. Um, and so we firstly know that if somebody presents to you with an adductive muscle, muscle injury, they're then at a much greater increased risk of that happening again. So we, try to, we, we sort of want to try and... Um, uh, minimise the risk factors associated with that. Um, and so there is, there are some risk factors aside from previous injury, such as um, strength, uh, strength measures, eccentric strength measures, um, and that sort of stuff. So I think yes, it is. It is paramount to try and it's going to be it's going to be a hard sell for some people, and it completely depends on your patient. So if you've got someone again in an elite sporting environment. It's probably something you can sell a lot easier. Um, and then if it's just uh, a random Joe Blow off the street, you probably don't need to necessarily um, go too much into it. Um, but there is some really, really good research by and this this last name I cannot pronounce because it's um, uh, I think Denmark, um, by Ishoi et al. I'm going to have to send you that one as well. They basically looked at... Um, the implementation of the Copenhagen deduction exercise and its utility in preventing uh, groin pain. And basically, they saw a 48% uh, reduction in um, injury occurrence. And so implementing a really sort of easy and simple program that can be done twice, once, twice a week can have massive, massive implications on further injury but we also know that it, it also decreases um, or addresses the risk factors such as that groin strength and adductor strength both just isometrically and eccentrically which we know is a massive massive thing as well um, and it's a really basic program it's really similar to like a nordic program um, you start off with like two bouts um, two twice per week to lots of five repetitions, and then you just gradually build that up and build that up. So um, certainly something that is effective, but you just got to pick the right patient. Yeah, and I think that's crucial. I mean, not everyone who has an adductor-related injury is going to want to yeah. do this extensive rehab program, <laughs> especially if you know they just want to get back to walking or gardening or whatever it might be. So 
I think picking and choosing the right person or the right candidate to do this on is really crucial. But it's also nice to know that like you spoke about just doing an exercise program really based around, I mean, one exercise can have a big impact. Um, yep. So that's, that's reassuring to know that we don't have to do that much or we can yeah. do the bare minimum, even if we're sort of limited by resources or if you're at a local sports club or things like that where they don't have a lot of gym equipment, even doing a bodyweight exercise like the Copenhagen can be uh, really effective. Absolutely. Thanks so much for this, Todd. This is awesome. Um, I mean, you know, this is certainly an area that really interests me and it's nice that uh, even after sort of following um, the great Joe Kemp in terms of focusing on this this topic, they were able to provide you know some really good insight and some really nice just takeaways that people can apply straight away. Like I think we did a you did a really good job of taking these concepts, but then um, going through it, but then breaking it down and delivering what you know the key couple of messages that people can apply straight away. So yeah, thanks so much for your time, mate. No, absolutely anytime. So it was, it was a privilege to jump on, mate. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you.